3: We were talking with Lance Taylor, 94.5 Jocks down in Birmingham about all of the best announcers because Marv Albert has announced his retirement. And if you go back through all of the incredible NBA games, Marv Albert's voice is kind of a soundtrack, for me anyway, of much of the 1990s era NBA. So many of the Michael Jordan games, so many of those uh, iconic uh, battles that existed between the Bulls and the Pistons and everything else, at least in my mind, when I hear like a highlight, I hear Marv Albert's voice calling a spectacular move by Jordan, those, those, kind, of, uh, those kind of intonations. And with the announcement that he is retiring, it got me wondering and thinking about this, what's my all-time top five announcers that I have heard in my life okay so some of you are older than me and uh, and and you may say uh, you've got certain fans or certain favorites but if I were having sort of a fantasy draft to pick people to call games and then also to be analyst who would I draft and what would it look like so I put together a top five announcers of all time And by, again, of all time, I mean of my life. Basically, the past two generations of sports. And then also, simultaneously, a top five of people calling games. And you guys can tweet me your uh, suggestions and your opinions. uh, And you can do that at Clay Travis on Twitter. And I'll scroll through and check those out. But I wanted to go ahead and rank. And this is my personal list. Five best people calling games, and, and and I'm trying to do it for multiple sports, although obviously some of these guys are particularly connected to one sport or the other. And so my number one draft pick, the guy who when I heard his voice, I thought to myself, this is going to be amazing, is for me as a huge college football guy, Keith Jackson. I think that Keith Jackson's voice is The greatest voice ever to call a broadcast a game. The phrases that he would use, whoa, Nelly, the big uglies, the way that he would describe uh, the sunsets at the Rose Bowl. I mean, this guy was an absolute poet. And his voice and the intonation and the way that it flowed off like syrup, like bourbon or whiskey, and a nice, uh, you know, afternoon sunset. I mean, it just, I don't know that any voice has better fit a sport than uh, than what you heard when Keith Jackson called college football. So he is my personal, number one, I hear his voice. It is absolutely phenomenal. I know that the game is going to be incredible. Number two, I've loved this guy forever, Brent Musburger. I I know he's calling Raiders games on the radio now and that he finally got fed up with ESPN and just decided to walk away. And by the way, I think he got a pretty good payday uh, because the gambling network that he started out in Las Vegas, uh, Vissen, just got bought by, uh, by DraftKings as sports gambling has continued to grow. But if you think back, Musburger was such an iconic voice The way he would sneak in gambling references and i it's it's i feel a little bit like a kid sometimes getting to meet some of these guys so getting to meet brent musburger and have a conversation with him about calling college football games i remember talking to musburger before the lsu alabama game they would have sort of a media availability for the guys that would call the games And I remember walking in, I guess that would have been like 2012-ish, about a decade ago, and just being in awe over getting to meet Brent Musburger. And I'm fortunate some of these guys I've gotten to know pretty well. I got to meet Keith Jackson in the one year back in 2013 when we did our uh, college football studio show. Keith Jackson came and, uh, and came in studio. He lived out in L.A., And we had a birthday cake for him and getting to meet him. And in fact, I got his phone number and he was saying at one point we were going to get him on the radio and that never worked out. But I remember calling his house. It wasn't a cell phone. It was his house and hearing they didn't answer the phone, but leaving a message for Keith Jackson and Keith Jackson's voice was on the announcing machine. It was like, hi, this is Keith Jackson. You know, I can't. I'm not a voice guy, but you know what Keith Jackson's voice sounded like. And you would just hear it. And I remember thinking how amazing it was that Keith Jackson's voice was on the answering machine uh, when I called his house and how uh, what an amazing feeling that was uh, to get to meet him. So getting to meet both he and Brent Musburger was pretty incredible, I think, in the grand scheme of things there. I think for me, on number three on the list, and again, I'm going through the all-time in my opinion – iconic announcers and by the way Musburger's not directly connected with any one sport he called a lot of games over the years Uh, but I think for for Vin Scully we just you just heard me talking with LT to me Vin Scully is the voice of baseball also another one of those perfect voices just an amazing sound in your ear, whatever way that his voice, whatever, and I'm not an expert on pitch or tone or any of those things, but the way that Vin Scully could modulate his voice, it is, to me, the voice of baseball. Uh, And when, you know, you kind of close your eyes and you think about an iconic moment, do you sometimes picture and or hear their voice as they are delivering it? I do. In the fourth spot, I've got Marv Albert. Um. again, because a spectacular move, right? Like I can just hear his voice calling so many big NBA games over the years. So I've got Marv Albert at the fourth spot in my all-time rankings. And then I think you got to put Al Michaels in. So again, I understand everybody can have different, uh, different rankings and different order. And to me, those are the five best sports announcers of the past couple of generations as i have seen it again keith jackson brent Musburger, vin scully marv albert al michaels in those uh in those orders i would also put i love vern lundquist who called the sec on cbs for many years i think he does and has called 16 at the Masters for many years as well. Love his voice. He's another voice. We call him Uncle Vern. Wasn't always perfect. Messed up a lot of names. Uh, got, got teams wrong sometimes. But it actually made him more beloved. I thought he fit. Jim Nance, uh, I think, is absolutely incredible at what he does. I think he still might be a little bit young. Uh, all of the guys that I named are, are super old. I think Joe Buck and Mike Tirico are both very talented but they are still relatively young in terms of their announcing careers. Uh, Maybe another 20, 30 years from now, we'll think about them in that same scenario. I think Dick Enberg, Bob Costas have to be on this list somewhere, Uh, whatever your list might look like. Uh, That, in general, would be my breakdown of the five best announcers, along with all those people, kind of an honorable mention. And again, I'm thinking about this because Marv Albert has announced his retirement what do you think of that list, Dub? How would you assess it?
2: Well, it's hard to argue. I mean, all these guys you've just named off are absolute legends in the game. And I remember Keith Jackson. He's a little before my time. But when I was super little watching college football on a Saturday night, I do remember Keith Jackson, and I absolutely loved watching the games that he called because all of his sayings, his voice, like you mentioned, it made the game feel just that much bigger when you were watching it on TV. Another guy you didn't mention who – maybe not quite on the level of these other guys that you've uh, named off, is Gus Johnson. Oh, yeah. He's a great uh, announcer for college football and whatever he calls. He just, a lot, especially when explosive plays come down, the way he calls those moments. And uh, another guy you may not be familiar with, but he's overseas in the soccer uh, arena, is Ray Hudson, who calls uh, basically all of Messi's games. Yeah. And when Messi does something fantastic, his calls are always Memorable, some of the phrases uh, he uses, uh, coupled with his accent, I think, is a really, uh, really fun to watch and listen to as well.
3: Gus Johnson is a good one yeah. uh, because he hits the he hits the the right tone and enthusiasm. The other one that I would mention that I used to love watching growing up, and then he basically got cashiered. Ron Franklin. Do you remember Ron Franklin? He did a lot of uh, college football night games, and I mean, he was another voice that you heard, and it just felt like it fit perfectly, the overall call of the game. Uh, To me, just an iconic voice in terms of the way that it's connected to the sport. This one's a little bit more challenging, because I was also thinking about this. Analysts and uh, people who are, you have the announcers, and then you've got the analyst, the game analyst. To me, there are three guys that are so directly connected to their sport, it's almost impossible not to think about them. Barkley is probably the greatest former athlete in media of all time. Would you dispute that at all, uh, Dub, in terms of anybody in my life that I have ever seen be a great player and then also a great analyst. Barkley is one of the 50 greatest NBA players of all time. I think he's an even better analyst than he is a player, and he was a tremendous player. An MVP, one of the 50 greatest NBA players of all time. I I find him to be so incredibly good at what he does. I think he's the best former athlete to ever do media.
2: Yeah, I totally agree, and there's a, oftentimes when guys are all-time greats in their sport, they're not really that good on camera. And Barkley, That's right. like you just said. It's a said. lot
3: like being a coach. Exactly. Because sometimes what makes you a great player, you don't necessarily pick up on the intricacies or the nuances or the subtle variations that can allow you to be a great coach because so much of the sport comes naturally to you. And we've seen this you know, when it comes to coaches or general managers. I mean, Jordan hasn't been a great owner uh, John Elway has not been a great uh, a great uh, individual vice president or general manager or whatever it is. Sometimes the all-time greats don't have that same ability when it comes to discerning talent. Same thing is true. There are lots of people who step into the booth or step into broadcast and media, and they aren't able to translate in any way. Uh, That same level. And I I just think Barkley is the best there's ever been.
2: Yeah, I agree. He's kind of like the Jerry West version, if you're, uh, because Jerry West obviously had a very successful career. After he's played in the front office, Charles Barkley yeah, kind of on point. that same trajectory, but uh, broadcasting-wise.
3: John Madden, greatest NFL voice of all time. And by the way, you could say that I probably should have mentioned Pat Summerall, another great iconic voice who sat beside John Madden for a long time. And that's probably a uh, uh, one that I should have thought to, uh, to mention. But Pat Summerall and John Madden were an incredible combo. And then, I believe I'm correct, John Madden and Al Michaels were a combo for a while. And John Madden, I think, is the most iconic voice to ever be connected to the NFL. And I know some of you out there are young, and you may be familiar with John Gruden. You may be familiar with uh, with other voices. But to me, John Madden and a lot of kids, like my kids play Madden every day, and they really don't know John Madden at all, right? As a former coach, certainly, but even as an announcer anymore – And I can tell you that's another guy getting to meet where I was just in awe of getting to meet John Madden after having spent as much time watching him on television over the years. Uh, I, I think John Madden is, for a former coach, the guy that is the best analyst in the NFL that there has ever been. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I definitely would. I'm trying to even think of a close second and no one's going to
3: that. I think Gruden, home. honestly, yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, was really good on Monday Night Football, and I think he had his own voice, but I'm not even sure. It's, it's hard for me to even think. I mean, Romo might already be the best former player out there calling games, and there are a lot of people that are really, really good at it, and in fact... You know, we had him on the show for a long time until he went to CBS. Charles Davis is the voice of Madden right now. I think he does a fantastic job in the NFL. But to me, Romo is probably at the absolute apex already. I mean, certainly he's being paid like it um, and sitting alongside a Jim Nance. Um, I, I think Madden is going to be hard to ever knock off that pedestal. And some of the older guys out there, can think about the Howard Cosells of the world. Again, if you're listening to this conversation, I'm talking about people that I, and I'm 42, that I have watched call games basically over the last couple of generations. So I can't speak to people that were uh, in the booth before me, uh, before I was able to watch it. Because it's just, you're, you're making up stuff if you talk about guys that you didn't actually watch uh, yourself. For college football, I think Kirk Herbstreet's the face of college football. I think he is the best analyst. You heard us talking in the last segment. The best compliment that I think you can give someone in this uh, discussion is that you didn't even know they played college football. And I think there are a lot of people who watch college game day that don't remember Kirk Herbstreet as the starting quarterback for Ohio State. He's just so good at calling games that there is uh there is a uh there's a facility there's a talent there there's a comfort smoothness uh that is really really comes through with Street. i think he's got a great voice and again i don't think a lot of people realize what it's like when that red light comes on there is a level and the same thing can be true by the way the red light that comes on for the microphone when you're talking on radio or anything else I have seen it happen so many times in my career, where you're in the green room, like out in Fox Studios in LA, or Fox News in New York City, you're in the green room and you're having a fabulous discussion, you're having an incredible rapport with someone, and that little walk from the green room out to the studio, it's cooler, all the cameras are around, all the big lights are there. And they flip it on, and a lot of people tighten up to such an extent that they don't feel comfortable in front of the camera. And if you don't have that comfort in front of the camera, then it can make people not be as comfortable with you. And I think what Street does that's so good is he has a conversation, and even when he's getting excited during a game, that conversation, he feels very comfortable in his own skin if that makes sense. And I think that's a rarity. I think Joel Klatt's got it. And Joel and Herbstreet are both buddies of mine now. I, I, I've gotten to be good friends with both of those guys, obviously, in the sports media universe. They are super talented. Um, that you know, I'm not an expert in hockey. I'm not necessarily an expert in soccer. I know that Ian Dark obviously is beloved by many different people out there in terms of his ability to call a soccer match. And I think his voice obviously fits in very well there. Uh, I, I do know Stu Holden. I think he does a fantastic job um, and uh, is going to continue to become bigger and bigger in the world of calling soccer, especially with the World Cup going on next year. Um, I think he does phenomenal work for Fox. There are a lot of names out there that we really haven't necessarily defined one as it pertains to college basketball. Um, you know, for a long time, it was Billy Packer. And I feel like Grant Hill and uh, and Jim Nance and uh, I probably should say Bill Rafferty, I think is probably the voice that most people think of when they think of college basketball. I think Bill Rafferty is, uh, I've gotten to meet him as well, and he does incredible work. Those would be the guys that I would say, certainly Dickie V uh, for many people is the voice that, that sort of personifies college basketball. I would say with Dick Vitale, I don't know very many people who have a negative opinion of Bill Rafferty. I feel like of all the people on this list, Dick Vitale is probably the most polarizing. He can be either someone that people love or hate, whereas I don't think that many people. I think mostly Barkley's beloved. I think John Madden is mostly beloved. Herb Street, uh, Bill Raftery, those are guys that I feel like almost everybody likes who's a fan of the sport, um, but it is uh, it is pretty interesting. Bill Walton, Dub, You you just texted me. Bill Walton is a good one, too. Uh, because you have no idea what he's going to say, uh, and he is great for college basketball.
2: Yeah, especially in terms of there is uh, there is a good percentage of people that do not care for Walton on the mic, and I am certainly not one of those people. Oh, I, I think love. He's... I will watch a college basketball game because Bill Walton is calling it. I, I won't care anything about the two teams, but I will sit on my couch and watch the game just to listen to Walton.
3: At some point, I'll give my official top five for you know sort of studio analysts – uh, as well, but I haven't made my official list. I just kind of ran through talking about them all there. Uh, my again, my list because Marv Albert is retiring. Keith Jackson, Brent Musburger, Vin Scully, Marv Albert, Al Michaels—the five names that I would most like to hear call a big sporting event if I had to. Uh, if I had to make that choice. All right. Uh, When we come back, we are scheduled to be joined by Chris Mannix, who uh, we'll ask him about Marv Albert because that obviously ties in as well. The NBA playoff play-in round, however you want to classify it, starts tonight in the Eastern Conference. Tomorrow in the Western Conference, we'll talk about that with Chris Mannix, who is the Fox Sports Radio NBA insider. He writes for SI as well. We will discuss that with him in a moment. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis. Joined now by Chris Mannix, our NBA insider at Fox Sports Radio. He writes at SI as well. All right, Chris, what kind of vibe are you getting on, I guess for lack of a better way to phrase it, the play-in series that is existing in the NBA? Eastern Conference is tonight, Western Conference is tomorrow. The Warriors and the Lakers are getting like 95% of the overall conversation. Is this a good or bad thing based on people you are talking to associated with the NBA playoffs?
1: Oh, I, I think it's a great thing. I mean, the the play-in tournaments has been, without a game being played yet, a smashing success. I mean, think about the interest that was in what would otherwise be meaningless regular season games over the final three weeks to you know month and a half of, of the season. I mean, most of the teams that we're talking about being part of the play-in, might have been resting stars, might have been uh, playing for lottery odds, like we saw Oklahoma City do all season or all second half of this season. Now you've got uh, you know teams that clawed their way into the mix, competing for something. And look, I'm I'm giddy about you know Warriors Lakers, you know in a playing game. I mean that's that that's as as must watch TV as you can possibly get when it comes to an NBA game. And I, I love Wizards Celtics as well. I mean the Wizards. Look dead in the water in early March, and they won. I think you know, fourteen of nineteen or some absurd number towards the end of the season to push themselves into this position and with a chance to go on the road and knock off Boston, which has been decimated by injuries over this uh, the last uh, few weeks. So, I, look, I, I love everything about the play-in tournament. I hope they keep it exactly as it is moving forward.
3: Would it be better if it were seven ten and eight nine, and it was winner take all? In other words, instead of, for people out there who are still getting used to this, 7-8 play, the winner gets the 7 seed, 8 falls into another game, so that you end up with a double sort of scenario. Would 7-10, 8-9, winner-take-all be better?
1: Well, I can certainly see an argument, but I think the argument the NBA would make against it, and I think they have a point, is that you have to show some respect to the 7-8 the and eight seed for accomplishing what they accomplished in the regular season. Otherwise it, it, it waters down the meaning of the regular season, especially for the seven seed. Like if you get to that number seven spot and let's say hypothetically moving forward, the seven seed is like, you know, five games ahead of the eight seed. Like, is it really warranted to put the seven seed in that position where they have one injury or one bad game and they could fall out of the playoff picture altogether. So I think this it certainly has the potential to be altered moving forward. You might only see the 8-9 seed involved uh, moving forward, or maybe 8-9-10 moving forward. But I don't think you do anything to to take away from the accomplishment of getting to that 7-seed spot during the regular season.
3: Who should be favored now that the NBA playoffs are here? And I know we still have the play-in, so we're not even sure who the 7-8 and eight seeds are to be exact. But the Lakers, theoretically, they're favored by around four points or so to beat the Warriors tomorrow night if they do that they would still be the favorite to win the Western Conference even as the seven seed. Uh, the Nets, who haven't really played together, they're big three of Durant, Harden, and Kyrie for much of the year. They haven't really played together. How do you expect to see these playoffs uh, work themselves out? And should the Lakers be favored in the West and the, the Nets favored in the East?
1: Well, the Lakers, y- you have to operate with the caveat that we don't know exactly how healthy LeBron's ankle is going to be. I mean, that he was out there in the fourth quarter of a meaningless game on Sunday is kind of wild. I mean, yes, I, like what he's doing out there on the floor uh, at that point? He retweaked the ankle. It, you see, it doesn't seem like it's as bad as the previous one, but that's something that you have to monitor through at least the first couple of weeks of the postseason. But if the Lakers are at full strength, they're still the team to beat. I mean, the Lakers are not you know, worried about going into the second round without home court advantage against Phoenix. Like, that's that's just not a concern. There might be more Lakers fans in Phoenix to watch those games uh, than Suns fans. So, I, I think you still have to make the Lakers the favorites to win the West. Because, look, Dennis Schroeder's back. Anthony Davis is back. If LeBron's ankle's healthy, that's the team to beat out West regardless. Eastern Conference a little bit more dicey. Because if the Nets win the Conference – they become almost mold breakers because no team that I can remember, and I don't think NBA history, has ever played this few games together. No training camp, just this group kind of thrown together um, with a defense this bad. I mean, they are awful defensively and won anything significant. I mean, those two things usually have to be a positive for the team. You usually have to have good chemistry to advance. You just have to have a good defense, a top-ten defense to advance. And that's not either. what they do have is unbelievable firepower, that can beat you in like 15 different ways in the fourth quarter. So, I, you know, I'm going to go with history on this side and say the Nets are not the team to beat out West. I, I think that, or in the East, I think the Sixers have to hold a slight edge there because of the completeness of their team. Embiid is dominant. The defense overall is dominant. They have just enough shooting this year to, to keep guys off of Embiid and Ben Simmons. I'd probably make Philadelphia the team to beat out in the East.
3: When we finish this season, will the NBA go back to basically a normal 82-game season finishing in mid-June like has historically been the case? Is is that the expectation that after the COVID bubble year and then after this season that started right around Christmas 10 games short of a usual season that all systems go 2021 would be, you know, Halloween-ish start and everything would be normal going forward?
1: Yeah. Yeah, unquestionably, Um, the NBA will have another kind of shortened offseason just to get back on the normal schedule. I mean, everything over the last couple of years has proven that certain things don't work, right? Like summer basketball, there was an appetite for that among several NBA owners that I know of. That didn't work last summer in the middle of the pandemic. Um, You know, the NBA never wanted to put teams and players in a situation of playing four games in five nights. They, they did make great efforts over the years to legislate that out of the league so that the schedule was a little bit more relaxed on players. There's been a number of big injuries this year. Jamal Murray, you know, several others that have had leg injuries and lower body injuries and the NBA and people I've talked to do attribute that to this condensed schedule. So I think the NBA is going to do everything it can to stretch that out. Once again, that means starting the season right around Thanksgiving, and continuing it into mid-June. It's not optimal, I think, for anybody. I think there's always going to be questions about the NBA schedule, but I think the NBA learned over the last year and a half that uh, you know what they have is imperfect, but it's better than some of the alternatives.
3: How much is fan uh, participation, meaning in the crowds, going to impact, in your mind, the playoffs? And how much could the difference, say, between a crowd in Utah or Dallas and no crowd Maybe much to speak of in Portland or in L.A.? factor in in these playoffs
1: Oh, I think it's a massive factor for for the home teams I mean Utah is a young team that feeds off the energy of its crowd a packed arena there is only going to 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 help them um and and look if you're a team like Portland or some of these other places that aren't fully opened yet it's going to cost you a little bit of something I mean people that think home court advantage is somehow overblown look at Milwaukee last year I mean Milwaukee was the best team in the Eastern Conference last year, and they got beat in the second round of the playoffs. In part, yes, because Giannis got hurt toward the tail end of that second round series, but that's a team that had a great home record during the season and clearly fed off the energy provided by that home crowd. I mean, you get into a Game 7 situation, you need the energy that crowd provides. So I don't know what it's all going to look like when we get into middle of May uh, well, we're in the middle of May now, but into early June and into July. Uh, but you know, the teams that that do have that home court advantage, a young team like Utah or Phoenix that hasn't had the experience in the playoffs, that's just going to be a huge positive for them in trying to win these series.
3: SI writer Chris Mannix, you can follow him on Twitter. You can read him there. He's also our Fox Sports Radio NBA insider. How incredible has Steph Curry's performance been down the stretch run of the season here? Is it actually being underrated what he's accomplishing?
1: You know, it's a good question because you know, as as we fill out our MVP ballots, the question is where do you put Steph Curry uh, on that ballot? Um, you know, he's certainly made a strong case to be the MVP. I just have a hard time as a voter uh, voting for a guy that's team that whose team finished the number ten seed in its conference. That's that difficult. The argument that was made against Russell Westbrook back in 2017 when he won MVP, but the Thunder that year finished sixth. I mean, I I think the one takeaway that I have from Steph Curry's season is that his game is going to age really well. And that's a good sign for Golden State. I mean, the Warriors, Curry's up for a contract extension this summer. He's got one year left on his deal. He's going to want full max on that contract. And I think based on what we've seen this season, There's less of a reason for Golden State to feel concerned about giving him that type of money. Yeah, maybe at the back end, injuries catch up to him. The ankle stuff he dealt with early in his career becomes problematic. But what we've seen from Curry at age 33 uh, strongly suggests that his game is going to age well as he gets to his mid to late 30s.
3: What about LeBron uh, and his health? Uh, you mentioned the fact that he was out on the court in a game that really didn't matter at all, especially because the Trailblazers were blowing out uh, the Nuggets right. and locked up that number six seed. You would think that there would have been somebody communicating with the Laker bench like, hey, they basically never are you know, being challenged here. There's not a lot to gain. I was surprised that he played as many minutes as he did. How healthy do you think LeBron actually is?
1: Yeah. I mean, even if you don't have somebody telling you, I think there's a scoreboard that every arena, you well, that's a good point with the numbers. Are. Yeah.
3: Sometimes that can um, be a little bit slow. Sometimes those arena scoreboards, but I would, I would want like, basically, you know, when they're up 25 points at the end of the third quarter, I'm pulling all my guys, like the odd, this 99.99% chance that they're, you know, go ahead and get your guys off the court would have been my move. If I were, uh, if I were running the Lakers.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, you got an assistant coach for everything nowadays. You might have somebody yes. keeping an eye on the scoreboard. Um, you know, I don't know how healthy LeBron is. I mean, he, the fact that the fact that he had a setback a week and a half ago tells me that this is a real injury. I mean, he sat out for the longest period of time in his career with this injury. And this wasn't like it was maybe two years ago when that Laker team had Ingram and Lonzo Ball on it. He kind of sat out the end of that season in part because there was really nothing to gain in it. Um, this is a legitimate injury. And, you know, the way that ankle twisted back in that Atlanta game and the way he's had to kind of nurse his way back into the mix. You know, it, with an injury like this, when you, you talk to NBA coaches, like it's just one minor tweak away from potentially being re-injured. The way LeBron plays, the explosiveness, uh, how he gets to the basket, any kind of hesitation on his part, that costs him something. That can be significant when it comes to uh, slowing down LeBron James. Does he become more of a jump shooter because of, of this injury? I mean, I, it's, it's hard to tell right now, exactly what kind of shape he's going to be. I think we'll know in the first two or three games of this postseason, beginning with that Golden State game, just how healthy that injury is. Because we'll see how hard he goes to the basket, how quick he pulls up, all the little things you look for that can tell you how healthy a guy is or not.
3: Chris Mannix, good stuff as always. We appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. You got it, Clay. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
0: dot com slash sports tire dot com the way tire buying should be
3: with the eastern conference play-in scenarios basically taking place tonight the hornets pacers and the wizards celtics going on uh all of the major i would say oxygen being soaked up by the warriors going up against the lakers thanks to chris mannix who just finished with us to me the storyline that is paramount here is how healthy is lebron right um because he, it was on the court, and to me, I know that it hasn't gotten a ton of attention about the fact that that he tweaked himself, uh, but why in the world was he on the court? I mean, this to me, Dub, we were talking about this on Sunday night. You had to be watching the Blazers and confirming that they were going to be winning with ease, which they were, and if that was going to be the case, making the decision that you aren't going to then trying to push lebron james uh particularly because you got a quick turnaround relatively speaking with a wednesday game and then maybe you're gonna have to play again a friday game before you even get into the best of seven nba uh playoffs so to me not having him pulled out of this game i mean this was not and you got a 25 or a 26 point lead in the second half like the uh like the portland trailblazers did against the denver nuggets there's no need to continue to have LeBron James out there on that tweaked ankle. And to me, that's probably the number one story as we get ready for the NBA playoffs. The Lakers are the seven seed. They are favored to go out and win, uh, second most likely team to win the title behind the Nets, but they are the favorite to win the West, even as a seven seed, which is effectively telling you, even with this play-in scenario, that it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. I'm frankly blown away that we could have ever been in a situation where LeBron has an opportunity to get injured in any any way in a game that doesn't matter for purposes of seeding.
2: Yeah, it's remarkable. And when I'm looking at the live line at the beginning of the fourth quarter, which and the spread is over twenty points for the Portland Trailblazers, I mean the game is over, right? And you speak of the Lakers being a seven seed, the highest seed to ever win an NBA title is the 1995 Houston Rockets. They were the sixth seed. So, I'm not sure I buy the Lakers being as highly favored as they are right now. I mean, it's just hard for me to believe that they have the second best chance to win the NBA title this year. But obviously, we're going to have to wait and see what happens, but... Uh, This is a team that I do not really want to bet on right now.
3: Well, effectively what we're being told here, and by the way, the Lakers are a five-point favorite over the Warriors in this Wednesday night game. Tonight's game, I'm looking at FanDuel right now. Uh, The Pacers, a a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Hornets, and then the Celtics around a two-point favorite, these lines bouncing around a decent amount uh, over the uh, Washington Wizards. But the Lakers, even with the play-in scenario are the second most likely team to win the title. Uh, right now, the Nets are plus 210 to win the championship. The Lakers are at five to one. the Clippers right behind them at six to one, the jazz at six to one. then the Bucks and the 76ers are both at eight to one. And so you sit around and look out here at uh, at the way that this scenario is set up and you wonder, effectively, as everybody's saying, the season doesn't matter at all in the regular season as long as you make the playoffs. That's the bet that the Lakers are making. By the way, speaking of bets, uh, Jokic is minus 6,000. You just heard Chris Mannix talking about who's going to win the MVP and the uh, NBA. Jokic is now minus 6,000. If you think uh, that's a a pretty monster favorite to be the NBA uh, MVP, if you think Steph Curry is going to potentially win this thing, uh he's 24 to 1 so you could make yourself a lot of money. Joel Embiid out there at 27 to 1, but effectively everybody is saying Jokic is done and he is going to be the MVP. When we come back. Third hour of the program, we are scheduled to be joined by Petros Papadakis. A lot to dive into with him. A lot of fun to be had there. And we're going to talk about the latest on Aaron Rodgers. bit more discussion about the NBA's play-in scenarios as we get ready for those tonight and also uh, get ready for those on uh, Wednesday night. All of that still coming your way. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick on Fox Sports Radio.